It's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious Word to Revelation 21. We're going to be looking at Revelation 21, but we're also going to be looking, first of all, in Matthew 19. So if you want to find that as well, we'll be referring to that this morning. I'm going to read here in a moment just simply one verse here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, and then pray for God's mercy as we study together. I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. I can't think of a better way to begin 2020 than with these words. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning in worship of people who have gathered in Jesus' name. We come as a family. Some have come today because they can't think of any other way to press on other than gathering with their church family to worship. Some are here today looking in and seeing what this is all about, we thank You for everyone here. And Lord, I pray that it would be clear to all who are gathered here, there is but one who can truly say, Behold, I am making all things new. May we look to Him. May we be transformed by Him. May we follow Him wherever He leads. In His name, in the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have entered a new year. Does it matter? Is that significant? Is that something that we should mark? You know, most people instinctively know it does matter instinctively we have some sense in which we ought to mark a time out like this. We ought to celebrate it. We ought to think. We ought to be reflective and look to the future. Of course, there are always some people who try to act like things don't matter. Um, There's always the contrarians. You see this all the time on social media. I call them the, well, actually people. Right? Anytime anybody's excited about anything, anytime anything's going on, they always have that, well, actually take. I tell my kids, don't be that, well, actually person. Nobody wants to be around that person. Yeah, on social media, one person I saw said, my goals and purpose don't change because the clock goes from 11.59 p.m. to 12 a.m. Just another day, move on. But you know, we know internally... But that's just not quite right. The truth is that God has made us in such a way that we are to be a people who look forward. We are to be a people who mark things along the way. We are a people to look forward to newness. You cannot be an obedient Christian 
without a heart disposition that is always looking beyond the moment. Always beyond your present circumstances. Yes, we are a people who look back to what Christ has done, but we are a people who look ahead to what Christ is doing. We are made to be a people who look ahead. The Bible is situated in such a way that the beginning and the end parallel one another, but in a consummated way. So let, let, let there be light was said in the very beginning because Jesus would be the light of the new heavens and a new earth. This is within us. This is the way we are made. In fact, all of us are forward-looking, whether we uh, acknowledge it or not. You make every decision you make based on eschatology. Now, you say, well, what's that? Just a fancy word for what you believe about the future. What you believe about what's ahead. Now, you may have a forward look that's only about three minutes, or three seconds, or three hours, or three days, or three weeks, but every decision you make is because of what you believe is going to happen when you make it. So, when you take the step, it's because something you believe and think about the future. We are just simply made like this. We should not avoid it or tamp it down. We should embrace it, but we embrace it with God in the picture. You know, when, when you go on a long trip, there, there is some sense in which when you make it to a new state, it, you feel like you're getting somewhere. Now, is there really much difference between the 111th mile and the 113th mile? The answer is not much, but two miles. But if there's a state that you're passing in the process, it feels differently. So when we're driving with our huddled masses in the Prince vehicle heading somewhere, um, we cheer when we go to every state except Tennessee. <laughs> now, there's some reasons for that. They're all sports related. But, 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 but we, yes, we made it to a new state. Uh, the little ones will even say, wake me up when we get to the new state that we're going to. That's just sort of the way we made those markers, those signs. Those signs that remind us of where we've been and where we're going. A birthday. Is your life any different than it was the day before? Well, in one sense, no. And in another sense, yes. Yes. God has given you a new year. It is right to acknowledge it. Now, think about the way these things work in the Bible, even. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a time when they took rocks out of the water and they built a monument. And they say, when people say, what mean these stones? In other words, why are these stones here like this? You are to tell them, you tell them something about God. Was there anything special about those stones? No, but yes, because they were put here. They were put here with a certain thought. Are, are they still the stones that were scattered around? Yes, but they mark something. Something is signified by them. And when people were to say what mean these stones, they were to be told a story about the past so they would make certain decisions in the future. You see, that's the way a new year works. We're rightly to say this is a New year. There is a past and there is a future. The, the whole Bible works in this way of calling us to anticipate. The Bible leans into the future. 
And it calls us to do the same. This new things language is replete. Isaiah 42 verse 9 says that God is saying, New things now I declare. Isaiah 48 6, From this time forth I announce to you new things. Isaiah 43 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. You see, this happens again and again and again. Why is that important? Well, it's important for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is when you look around at times, well, actually, all the time, there's a lot that you see that is not new and doesn't look new, and it's not good. A world full of problems. Nations at war with one another. Tyrannical dictators persecuting people. Human trafficking around the world. Babies being killed in the womb. I could go on. It's real easy to look at those things and it feels like new world, yeah, right. All things new. We need the hope that looking ahead gives us. It's not empty hope. It's what God has promised. And it's what God is doing. No matter what it seems like to us. We, we, we are made to lean into the future in this way, in this world full of problems. Because we are the people who say, yeah, that's not all there is. That's not all that's going on. Let me tell you what's really happening. See, Jesus always pointed His disciples toward the future. Now, He did it, and this is important, He did it not just so they would know things about the future, but He did it in order that they would live faithfully in the present. You see, what you think about the future affects the decisions you make right now. Now, if you were certain about certain things in the future, then you can make more confident decisions here and now. That's the place the believer is in, which nobody else is in the world. You see, that Jesus is always reminding them of what's coming, so they will live differently in the present. He points them constantly toward this, this newness that He is doing. He calls them to see the markers of newness along the way, acknowledge them, and to keep their eyes on what's to come. Think with me. Jesus comes and He brings about the new covenant. He brings a new commandment. He talks about new wineskins. He talks about building in Him one new man. Newness, 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 all happening here and now and all ultimately consummated in a newness when Christ returns outside of the very presence of sin. Think with me about this this morning. In Matthew 19, verses 27 to 28 are what we're going to focus on. But I want you to see this encounter and how Jesus responds. This points to uh, the for us a new world. As we look at the newness that God is bringing, we're going to mark these things out and and what God is doing for us and on us and in us and around us and over us and under us and beside us. 
All has to do with Christ, but for us, a new world. In Matthew 18, we find Jesus' disciples arguing over who will be the greatest in the kingdom. And by kingdom, they're certainly thinking about the kingdom that's going to be established right then. Who's going to get the chief seats? Who's going to be the most important? And that gives way to an encounter where a guy comes up, a guy that we call the rich young ruler, a guy that was successful, a guy that somebody from the outside looking in, in that culture, would say, that guy's blessed. But not just in that culture, in this one as well. For he had all the signs. He was wealthy. He had power. He had position. In this culture and in our culture, we say, well, that's what it means to be blessed. So he comes to Jesus and asks, Teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. He says, I have kept the commandments. Then Jesus tells him to sell all that he would possess and give it to the poor, and he'll have treasure in heaven. And it says he went away sorrowful. And then there's this encounter that begins in verse 23 with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus said to the disciples, verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's confronting the idea that someone's wealth meant that they were blessed. We've just seen it illustrated in the rich young ruler. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Meaning, God can save a rich man and God can save all men and nobody's salvation is possible because of who they are. Everybody's salvation is only possible because of God. It's what God does. And so then in verse 27 of Matthew 19, Peter chimes in and he says this. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Okay, hard for a rich man to go to heaven? Well, look at us. We walked away from our jobs. We abandoned everything. We're just following you. We must be in a really good position here. What is it we'll, we'll, that we will have? We have done it. What's in it for us? It could be a very negative thing. It could be just an honest sense of what are the rewards of following in this kingdom. But the important thing for us this morning is what Jesus says. Jesus could very well have rebuked him, but he doesn't. But here's what he does. He answers the question with something much more glorious than Peter could have ever been thinking of. Now, when we tend to think about the here and now and what we want in the moment, we often don't hear about the greater with the right ear. But it's greater. He could have said, oh, you're, you're going to have a chief seat right here. You're going to be here with me right now. You're going to have rule. He doesn't. He tells him something about the future. Listen to the response. Verse 28 of Matthew 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, or y'all, it's plural, 
in the new world. Ah, that's what he offers him, the new world. The, the followers, those who abandon and follow Christ in faith, what will we have? A new world. Uh, the, the, the word world here is uh, a, a, a renewed world, a recreated world, a new creation. One person translates this, a new genesis, a, a new beginning. But the key is new here. Everything is going to be new. A new world, Jesus says. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you, or y'all, who have followed Me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, symbolic of faith. You're willing to walk away from anything to follow Christ. For My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Then there's a warning, a warning about our desires and, and, and a call for us to trust in God and His timing. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, this message about the new world is to change how we live now. And he doesn't want them to hear it in a sense that all of a sudden now they are in charge of what's going on here. Because they would wreck it just as we would. Faith, trust, what's in it for us? A new world where you will be sitting in places, one for you, purchased for you by Christ Himself. You see, this is the way the Bible works. This is the way Jesus is preparing His disciples to face the troubles of the now. Remember me. Remember who I am and what I've done. But remember what I am doing. Now, we don't, we don't have time to chase it all out, but the apostles do exactly the same thing. The, the apostles treat thinking about the future, eschatology, thinking about the end, studying about the end, getting a sense of what's going to happen to the end, not merely as futurology, not merely as about what's happening in the future. The apostles bring up the end so that the believer would embrace a mindset for the here and now. So we would walk differently in light of the climax that we know is coming. We can't uh, tell you what's going to happen in the future. God can And our future as believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, was purchased by Christ. We are in Him. His future is our future. One example of this, Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, set your mind on things above. And then he goes on to say this, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Set your mind on things above as you live in the here and now. You are alive, but you've died to any trust in yourself. You're alive in Christ. When He appears in the future, when He returns, you will be with Him in glory. That is the glorious picture. And why is He saying it? So they would be stabilized in the here and now. They would have an anchor So when the the problems and difficulties of this life batter them, they don't forget that in Christ, for us, is a new world. 
The final book of the Bible is characterized by this hope and promise of newness. We're going to walk through a lot of that, but back to Revelation 21.5 this morning. Where the Lord Jesus, behold, it's an arresting term. Look, behold, I, I, the Son, the great I, am making. By the way, it's present tense. So when we talk about making all things new, we're not just talking about what will happen in the new in the sense of the very end. He's at work making all things new here and now, even though there will be a new newness to the end when Christ returns and consummates His kingdom. I am making all things. That's the range of His power, all things. There's coming a new order, a new world. I am making all things new, superior to anything you've known. New in the sense that it renders the old obsolete, gone. Though it is connected... It is new. We understand that because we understand resurrection bodies. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that when we die, we spiritually go to be with the Lord. But one day, body will rise in Christ when He returns and body and spirit will be reunited. Is that this body? Kind of. Yeah. But is it uh, subject to all the weakness of this body the the struggle no it is a new glorified body that body is made all new that's what he says he's going to do as he makes all things new you see i want to call us to face the new year trusting in the one who makes all things new and i want us to call to call us to see the glimpses of, glimpses of newness all around us. Not to fail to see them, to mark them out, to celebrate them on the way to the ultimate of what God does. So there is for us a new world. But there is on us a new name. If you'll flip in Revelation back to the beginning of the book, in chapter 2, verse 17, there, there are these, these letters to the churches. This is to the church at Pergamum. We aren't going to work out the whole thing, but here at the end, in verse 17 of chapter 2, there is a promise given, and it says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, says to the churches, The one who conquers, who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, now the, the hidden manna certainly is a reference back when God delivered His people from bondage in, the, uh, in Egypt and provided them manna on the way. God is the provider. Jesus is the bread of life. This, this promise of hidden manna, manna to come, People who have known manna as a part of our story. People who have fed on the one who is the bread of life. There is manna yet to come. But then there's also this promise of a white stone with a new name written on the stone. Now, as we think about this, the, 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 the idea here with the white stone, the stone means purity and victory. Stones like this were used in a variety of 
ways. And one of the ways they were used is to, to get in a particular event or feast or, or something. You have a particular stone and that gets you in, like some kind of, of card or something like that. Uh, a black stone means to be blackballed, and we understand what that means. But a white stone was to, to, to mean victory and purity and acceptance. Uh, but, but here the idea of the white stone with a name written on it. One of the practices at that time is to take a, a stone like this and to have it broken in two and to write one another's names on it and to trade the stones to have the other person's name and to keep it with you as a sign that though you are going your separate ways at that moment, that your friendship cannot be broken. So it was also a sign with a name on it of this idea of friendship and promise and love for one another. So let's think about that. A new name. He gives us a new name. Our new name. A name marked by a new identity. An identity that we are to live here and now, but a new name that we don't really know now. It means simply this. At its basis. That by God's grace, Christ accepts us through faith. He loves us. There's a promise that He will not leave us. And that that stone with a new name means entry into the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great messianic feast. We are accepted as His children. Our fate is tied up with Him. He will be there. We will be there. He gives us a new name, the new identity that we have as believers, that we are not now identified as with our sin and our rebellion. We are identified with His righteousness. We're given a new name that marks our new identity. For us, a new world. On us, a new name. Look at, verses, look at Revelation 5, verse 9. We see in us a new song. I'm also going to mention 14, verse 3, which uses this language as well. If you remember what's going on here, it's a scene in heaven, a scene of the throne room. There's a scroll with a, a seal, but there's nobody who has the authority, who is worthy to break the seal of the scroll. And then ultimately, there's one who shows up and it says, He is worthy. It is the lion of the tribe of, uh, of Judah, the root of David. That one is the one, the only one, who is worthy to break the scroll. But then it says that, that, that when this is unfolding and this worthy one comes and the 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 scene flashes to look at him. It doesn't describe him at that point as a lion, but as a lamb. The lion. The tribe of Judah, the root of David, is as a lamb that was slain. The ferocious lion. It's the sacrificial lamb A lion who is able to hurt, but the sacrificial lamb who takes the hurts of others to himself. You see, as Jesus is recognized in this event as the worthy one, there is a newness to the unfolding of this drama that the one with all power and all might is the one who comes and lays down his life as the sacrificial lamb. 
And that call, that new reality that is happening calls for a new song. That's the way it keeps happening in the Bible. These key moments of redemptive history, people sing a new song. You can see Psalm 33, verse 3, Psalm 98, verse 1, Psalm 144, verse 9, Psalm Isaiah 42, verse 10. There it talks about singing a new song, and it's associated with these key moments in redemptive history of what God is doing, how the story is unfolding. And all of those new songs, those markers build up to this new song in the eternal state. Verse 9 says this, And they sang a new song. Worthy are you, that's the answer to chapter 5, verse 2, who is worthy, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you emancipated us who were slaves to sin. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then the the song goes on, but the song is about the lion who is the lamb. The one who has the power, but uses his power to sacrifice. And in this key moment of redemptive history, this new song is sung. But we don't wait until then. You see, you and I are people who experience fresh expressions of the love and grace of God all of the time. That's the reason why these songs show up in the story of the Bible, building toward this one. We sing now because of those, because of what's happened with us, but we sing now also because what is coming. You know, oftentimes in my life, I get so mired in things going on. I'm a person who likes to accomplish things, and so I'm grinding away and I realize that I'm living and I'm doing, but I'm not singing. I'm not singing a new song. I'm acting as though I'm trapped in some sort of grind. I'm not. Usually something will happen. Usually it's some sort of conviction and I'm reminded of grace afresh and anew. And I sing. I sing. Sing in my heart, sometimes out of my mouth when people aren't around. Maybe even with people around. But I can't help it. You see, the newness of what God has done can't get lost. By His grace, He keeps bringing us back to it. We keep experiencing His love and grace. Have have you not had times where, oh, you start fixating on something, you have all this doubt, and and you think things should happen this way, they don't happen that way, but then you get to some point and you, you say, why did I doubt God? Why? Why do I do that? Well, we struggle. And so when that happens and you see the goodness of God afresh and anew, sing. Sing a new song in your heart. Let the joy and the praise well up because you are experiencing what you can only experience in Christ. There's no other way to experience it. That's why it's worthy of song. God keeps showing us that the end 
is always a new beginning. Revelation 21, verse 2. Around us, a new Jerusalem. We, we get this picture in, in, in uh, uh, this scene of the fact that we, we always think about heaven and we think about heaven as, as sort of up there and so that we're going up there. But the Bible gives us this picture of heaven coming to earth and meeting in a new creation. And in this picture of, the, of heavenly Jerusalem coming down. A city that comes down, a huge, magnificent city. The holy city. New Jerusalem, it calls us. It is the bride city. For everyone who resides in New Jerusalem is going to be a part of the bride that Christ has prepared for Himself. A people, believers, a people called the church. Look at verse 2 of Revelation 21-2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You see, this new Jerusalem is representative of the place where God's redeemed people will dwell. It is God's place, and they will dwell there because God dwells there. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now note this, this new Jerusalem that will be around us is not from us. It's not our creation. It's God's doing. It's God's work. It's not what we could have built. It's only what God has done. He is the creator of the creation. He is the creator of the new creation. And in the new creation, the center of it is the holy city. It is a gift of the grace of God. God's goodness is fully manifest outside of the very presence of sin. Heaven on earth, heaven on a new earth, describes the reality of a new Jerusalem. And listen to what else it's going to be like, beginning in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And the new thing is here. The new Jerusalem. Now, you experience a taste of that this very morning. You see, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathers as a community of a different kingdom. A community that responds to one who is Lord. And no human authority is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. It's the reason why Christians in the beginning would not say what was common. Caesar was Lord. They would die before they would say it. And we are those people as well. And so we pull out of the world around us and we come together as believers, as people who know the grace and the love of God. And there is a newness every time you come here. Uh, We still struggle with sin, so it's not the newness that we will know when we are around us as the new Jerusalem. But it is a place of redemption, of new creations, of believers of people who know love in a way no one else does. And so we experience Lord's Day by Lord's Day the newness that God has given us to experience all around us. Do do, do you see how incredible this is? For us, a new world. On us, 
a new name. In us, a new song. Around us, a new Jerusalem. Look with me also at chapter 21, verse 1. And we see over us and under us a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. You see the picture here in Genesis, there is the creation of the heavens and the earth. Here in Revelation, at the end of our Bible, there is the creation of the new heavens and new earth. They are related, though this is all new. Just like we think about resurrection bodies, there's continuity and discontinuity. Don't think about the new heaven and new earth as some place in which you can't understand anything going on there. That is not it at all. It is going to be a place of familiarity in one sense, but in another sense, it is all new because you have never looked upon anything with your eyes here and now without sin, without the stain of sin, without it being marred by sin in the world. And that's the reason why those glimpses of beauty that you've had in the here and now are going to be nothing compared to the way you see those same things in a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to open your eyes to beauty in a new and profound way. A new heaven over us, a new earth under us. We are being surrounded by the grace of of Christ. We are experiencing these things now, but not yet the way we'll experience them then. But we are to celebrate them now. And the newness that we are experiencing and the newness we are promised is to transform the way we live in the here and now. See, this was always promised. Isaiah 52.1 Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Isaiah 65.17 Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 66.22 For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me. Think about the biblical story. It has creation as its first word. That's not surprising but it has creation as its last word as well. That is surprising. You see, new heaven come to earth. New earth, not non-earth, new earth. Heaven and earth come together. New heaven, new earth outside of the presence of sin. It's going to be familiar and glorious. It's going to be a resurrected world, a new world. It's going to be fascinating. There's going to be so much to do and enjoy and worship. And our desires are not going to be lessened. They're going to be heightened. Because for the first time, all of our senses are going to be surrendered to what we see outside of the very presence of sin. It's going to be the presence of joy and wonder as we have never known it. And thank God we have known joy and wonder here and now. It will only be heightened. And the best thing that I can say about the new heavens and the new earth and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is that it will be home. That's a word we're all familiar with. Some of our homes here are not so grand. Okay, He makes all things new. Many of our homes, there are things that are not so great and there are things that have been wonderful. He makes all things new. Home, as we've never known it before. All over us and under us, 
is gospel newness of Christ. I'll show you one other thing in Revelation 3.12. And that is what is before us. <clears throat> what is before us is our new revelations of the never-ending love and grace of God. Now, this is the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And we come down to the end of this in verse 12 and we read this. The one who conquers or overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Now, this is, this is a a blessing being conferred to the people of God in a new heaven and new earth. We are identified with God forever. We are, are citizens of the city of God forever with the name written on us, the new Jerusalem, it says. And then it goes on to say, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. These are the words of Christ. A new name for Christ. A way in which we're going to know Christ then that we don't know Christ now. A new revelation of Christ's glory, even in the perfected eternal state. You see, life is not static here and now, and it will not be static then. I may not know how to explain it, but I do know that the Bible promises that our expanse of joy and wonder will always increase. We will see Christ for who He is in never-ending ways. Our sense of His glory will somehow grow. He has for us an understanding of who He is, of His grace and of His love that is to come that's more, more profound than anything that we have known. Now, think about this. Tie all this together. For us, a new world. On us, a new name. In us, a new song. Around us, a new Jerusalem. Over us and under us, a new heaven and a new earth. And before us, new revelations of the never-ending love and grace of God. All of these things only possible because of Christ. And all of these things we experience in some measure already. See, the picture is not that you and I grit our teeth in this horrible, terrible world, and, but one day it's going to be great. That's not the picture. Behold, I am making all things new. When He saves us and transforms us and starts to sanctify us, we experience these things here and now. We live more and more as a part of this new world, even as we live here and now loving those around us. You see, our celebration of this is aware that there is a not yet that we won't experience until then. But the not yet does not mean that we don't have the already. We do. He is making all things new. And we should acknowledge that in a new year. And He is making all things new into eternity. See, here, this is true. In Christ, it's possible to say, 
the best is always yet to come. Isn't that glory? Isn't that liberating? Isn't that transformative? You're pressed in right now about things that are going on in Christ. The best is always yet to come. In Christ, He's making all things new. Do you live? Do you talk? Do you act? Do you make decisions based on that fact as foundational truth? Or do you make decisions in a phone booth? The distance between your thoughts and your decision are no farther than what is immediate to you. I know this, that if you do that, you're full of fear, you're bound up by anxiety, and you're unsure all the time. When you narrow things down and act as what you're experiencing in the moment is the only thing to be considered. The only possible response is fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. But you've been liberated not to do that. You've been given this newness that you experience all the time that is even greater in the days ahead. To make you bold and courageous and not fearful and not self-protective. This is the reason you can serve. This is the reason you can put yourself in harm's way for the spread of the gospel. This is the reason you don't have to live just trying to cling to this life. It is a new year. It's a great time to redirect your life and live in gospel newness. To the glory of the one who is making all things new. Happy All Things New Year. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your your gospel grace. I'm thankful for you, the fact that you come to us who are dead in sin, and by your grace you're at work making us alive in Christ. I thank you that we can be described as believers, as a new creation. But Lord, I thank you that the newness that you bring to us is never ending. A new year is a time for us to remember the newness of the one who is making all things new. What liberation, what freedom. Lord, help us to live in it. Help us to embrace it. Help us to realize that before and on and in and around and above and below and besides. Christ, Christ, Christ has enveloped us with grace. Help us to walk like it, to talk like it, to live like it, to make decisions like it. And thank you that no matter what happens now and in the days ahead, our response is always, but behold, I know the one who is making all things new. It's in his name, for his glory, and for our good, I pray. Amen.